gagged at two girls, one cup. You cringed at two guys, a girl, and a pizza place. Now it's time to get uncomfortable with Two Nobodies, One Podcast. This is Here's My Movie. Here's my movie! Okay, so if you're sick of that, well, sucked in because we're not. Uh, this we is never will my- be. <laughs> this is Here's My Movie, episode, what is it, three. Okay, so we're three in and I couldn't remember the number. Excellent. That's all right. That's why I've got a spreadsheet to keep track of this because I'm – a 003 that will become relevant later. Yeah. Not in this episode, though. No, Teasing no. ahead. <laughs> um, so welcome again. Thank you very much to um, our small but dedicated audience that has listened to the first couple of episodes. Uh, big props to uh, friends of ours for their amazing feedback and support to date. So it was always our intention to go back in time to review old stuff as well, uh, beloved things, widely hated things, and, you know, just just the stuff that we, we definitely have an opinion on. Um, and, of course, one of those highly charged discussions that we've had many times over is concerning the blockbuster hit Prometheus. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that is going to be this episode. Um, we've, we've rewatched it and, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot that we've got to say for, for me and, and I know Nate as well, but he can speak for himself, um, oh, is, <laughs> uh, the, the alien franchise is very dear to my heart and there's been a lot of missteps within it, but the general core, uh, story and, and world that's been built there is very, very important to me and and really helped stoke the fire in my my love of movies so um to to reflect on these films is is pretty important for me i guess what's your where where do you fall in terms of the quality alien movies i know alien is at the top for you yes and then then what is the ranking uh and where does it go from two or three to the others don't really matter (laughs) because it's different for people it's it's Alien, the first Alien, then the second Alien are, are one and two for me, for sure. Um, then it's <laughs> it's probably are we are we doing like Alien versus Predator and all of those? No, as well? no, don't count the crossovers. It, it gets unnecessarily convoluted. Yeah, it really does. And they're both they're both entirely optional. I don't think you'll find anyone out there who's ranking AVP or AVP2 pretty highly in either respective franchise. Actually, that's not fair after The Predator and yeah. Alien Covenant and Prometheus. <laughs> Fuck, maybe people are, and that's why it gets complicated. So let's just not include them. Just go cause. But I'm going to interject, even mm. though I just asked a question. It sounds like you've hit two and then you're already umming and ahhing. This is what I mean. This is the, the point at which a lot of people can agree that Alien and Aliens the most confusing sequel name in history because it's like, which one did you say you liked? Yeah, Aliens, mate. Did you say Alien? No, Aliens. Yeah, yeah. Aliens. Yes. Uh, Aliens is my favorite. So it goes Aliens, Alien, and then Alien 3 for me with no hesitation, no probably 
maybe yeah and i should clarify aliens alien it's it's not like a there's not a chasm there it's a very close race for me aliens nudges yeah. out alien for me i i do love the original alien i just think aliens is much like james cameron's terminator 2 kind of the idea of how you do sequel escalation perfectly okay. um but then after that that's where it drops off for me so i don't give a fuck about resurrection uh, Prometheus, as I'm sure you're about to learn, doesn't rank too highly for me. And Covenant is garbage. Just just garbage. Yeah. So I guess... So you, are yours basically in release order? No. Two, one, three. Oh, yeah, right. Who yeah. cares? Two, two, one, three. Who cares? Resurrection has some good bits. It does, but yeah. But so Prometheus. I don't think Covenant does, though, so I can't even go. So does Covenant. Like, Covenant. No. That's the one that outside of a rewatch of Prometheus, I think we have seen most recently out of all of them, and yet I did, it is so forgettable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've watched it recently, and... Covenant. I can base... I, I can, all I can tell you is the... You're good at fingering scene. It's about the only thing I can remember. <laughs> that's memorable for the wrong reasons, it, right? It's terrible. It says, you, yeah. you blow, I'll do the fingering. And you're like, are you, are you even <laughs> hearing this dialogue? And I know that they, so, like, someone's written that and gone like. <laughs> no, you hope they have because if they haven't. <laughs> I, look, I would have. I would have written that and I would have been like, yeah, that's hilarious. But, but I wouldn't have made it through to the final draft, right? You'd probably like, not, no. the first draft and it, joke. It's and amazing. It, and it's such a tonal shift in that scene too, which is meant to be this sort of ethereal, sort of beautiful new beginning kind of moment where, you know, the even the, the, the scene kind of has like a gold filter on it even to give yep. it that sort of the light. Dreamy and the created, like creator, creating, yeah, 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 and yeah. teaching the other created how to create. Oh, let's yeah, go yeah, layers. like, like, and and that marks actually, you know. Um, so this is where I, I will say, warning, warning. This podcast contains spoilers. Press pause and go watch the film before proceeding, if you care. Um, yeah. All right, and thank you to uh, Kid Conley for that amazing uh, voiceover work that he's done for our podcast. So, yes. Now, um, he ain't kidding. Yeah. That's his catchphrase. It should be. It, I don't know why it's not. It, it is now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the, um, for me, it, like that scene is, is really important in helping to establish this, I guess, new information that an audience that's been watching since this, you know, 1979. Well, we're talking about the flute had, fingering still, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that I'd blacked out for a bit there and we were onto something. Okay. No, no, Let's no. Continue. No, no. I'm listening. No, because that, that, for me, that kind of solidifies the direction for everything, um, which is, you know, David as, you know, creator, as villain, as the whole catalyst for everything we see in the movies that are actually good. Um, that's what they're kind of trying to feed us, I think. And that's very – so that's a very important scene. And then they use you blow and I'll do the fingering <laughs> as, <laughs> in, in the selling of that it's the crux of the twist for everything else. Well, you know that 
when the porn parody <laughs> version comes out and they don't have to change the dialogue at all and it still works, that you've kind of goofed. <laughs> it's a shocker. It really is. But in terms of my order, I mean, you know that I've got Alien on top. Aliens is a, an obvious second. What's the what's the gap though? Is it the same as mine? Is it like edged out or is it Alien is like the clear head head and front if we're going to use racing terms? It's not a photo finish. No. Undisputed no. champion. It's it's the undisputed champion, right. but Aliens is 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 a close second because it's still an amazing film. I mean, me putting Alien on top isn't me saying that Aliens is crap. I I enjoy them both very very much, but it I feel like they're almost separate genres. Yeah. Um yeah. so I prefer the horror sci-fi. So straight up horror. Yeah, yeah. The first one. Yes. I mean, obviously it's sci-fi, but straight yep. horror. It's yep. not action horror, which is the second one. I That's think right, it, yeah. I think it is action horror, though. I think it is it what still, Resident it still Evil has... wishes that it was. Yeah. I'm talking about the movies here. You, you have a closer affinity with the games than I do. Yeah. But that movie was just like, we don't know how to do action horror. No. Let's just do B-grade action with occasional splatter gore, as opposed to mm. when, you're th- when I'm thinking of Aliens and I'm thinking of that scene that would never make it into a movie nowadays. The, it's like a 15, 20-minute run of them going in to find the occupants or, or the, the people. Yeah, yeah. And it is drawn out, but it is not boring. It is intense, and it's the motion tracker and the setup and payoff for that. Like, it has, I think, horror elements. Like, yeah. actual deserved, not out of place, like we talked about, you know, with Shazam. Not that that was trying to be action horror, but the horror was so heavy-handed in parts that it felt that way. Yep. So, yeah, I think it's action horror, and I don't think there are too many good examples of that genre splicing, action horror. No, there's not, and that's. I think that it's it's really a delicate balance to strike, and some people do it really well. Um, I think Aliens is a, is a great example of, of that. Um, so it, it's a fantastic film in its own right, but I prefer – the, the the hard horror that I believe um, Alien brings more than than Aliens, which has that sort of uh, I I guess sharper, wittier, you know, eighties nineties action hero kind of dialogue, like you know, oh, there are quips, yeah, quips like you shithead, and when, they work, you but- know, like uh, you know when uh, uh, Ripley's talking to Jones. The cat, like yeah, she just yeah, starts yeah. calling, like she was really tender and loving with him in the first one, and then he makes one noise, and she's like, "You shithead." Oh, Bill, pa- <laughs> Bill Paxton's basically yeah. entire character is is amazingly yeah, yeah. quoted to this day. Quips. Oh yeah, absolutely. So there was less of that, and there was more um, dead air, but it was because there was so much foreboding tension building in the first one. With you know, and the reason there's no dialogue is because Ripley is is. In essentially carrying her film on her own with a xenomorph and there's moments where she doesn't speak because she's terrified and that happens a lot like you know and I, I think that 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 empty air that you feel in the alien movie is is more my jam um you know and this this is from someone who thought the like demolition man was awesome when they were 11 Oh, we've got to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That to the list. Yeah, so like it's a, I'm not years. totally against the action horror no. creepy stuff, but it, it's, it's for me it feels like two separate genres and I prefer Alien, so that's why it's on top. Yeah. 
Cool. Yeah. So for me, but for me, this is where you know, I don't know. I might get a tomato thrown at me or something. If, um, I had, if you're about to say what I think you are, and if I had tomatoes, I would be flinging them. Yeah. Is that Alien Covenant is by far the the oh, best. You've one. already done that joke. Fuck. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I think Alien Resurrection is, is oh, next. Tomato. Then, yeah. What the, you can't see is a tomato being <laughs> flung at her head. <laughs> and then Alien 3. Right. Then Prometheus. Then Alien Co- Covenant. And I would say that there's a significant drop in quality between Prometheus and Alien Covenant because there was a semblance of a an amazing film somewhere in there that in Prometheus in Prometheus whereas Covenant was just a mess from the beginning I think the bigger problem for me with Covenant yeah. is that they fucked up so hard in Prometheus and it's like if you get a if you get a redemption shot yeah don't fuck it up again mm. and there was just so much lazy shit yeah from why is the xenomorph uh CG like that level when there's behind the scenes shots yeah. of a dude in a suit and stuff like that. And there's certain things I'm sure they couldn't achieve. Well, you know, actually, no, that's not true. Like, fuck, fuck that defense because look at aliens when you've got, you know, they're obviously using trick photography and stuff, but people in suits coming out of walls, running on roofs, all that stuff works. It worked in the 80s. It's going to hold up for the rest of goddamn time. Yeah. And that shitty out in the sunlight alien drooling idiot on top of a ship in Covenant, it just loses it loses any sort of groundedness. And I think if you're doing a prequel to Alien, remember they're doing a prequel to Alien, they're doing a prequel to Aliens or 3 or whatever came after. Mm. This is the quintessential, like, treat shit seriously. You can do a horror movie in space. And it sounds probably sounded ridiculous back when they pitched it. In fact... The only reason that it got green lit was because of Star Wars. Yeah. And this was a time when anything sci-fi, they were like, we just got to jump on that train. And it's like, yeah, Alien, cool. It's sci-fi, great. And what is even more amazing to me in terms of behind the scenes for Alien is that the screenwriter, or screenwriters, it was two, actually had a character sheet. And at the bottom of the character sheet, the front of the script, they had... um, these characters are written as gender neutral. They can be played by male or female. Mm. Like that is that is mind blowing. That's why they're all kind of like surnames, yeah, yeah, script and stuff like that. And obviously they added on Ellen instead of Alan, because I guess Alan Alan Ripley instead of Alan Ripley. And what a different <laughs> world and bizarro universe that ourselves in some other world have watched an alien movie with Alan Ripley played by <laughs> who would who would be the Sigourney Weaver of the nineteen seventies, but man. Oh, well. Harrison Ford type cast, perhaps. Not tall enough. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> um, well, that was sort of, that was her defining film in like, and it was right at the end of the 70s. So maybe we're looking more 80s. And that was probably. But you get what I'm saying, right? Like yeah, that, yeah. That could have easily, and especially, what, 40, 40 odd years. 40, it is 40th anniversary this year. Oh, my God. 40 years yeah. ago. It would have been so much easier to cast a dude. Oh, yeah. Especially in the lead, right? Like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they could have had Stallone. Um, they could have had, I mean, Schwarzenegger was sort of balls deep in Predator at that stage, so it probably didn't make that much sense. Well, see, that was, that was mid-80s as well. I'm pretty sure Yeah. his breakout role was Terminator. Uh, he had done The Gods Must Be 
not the gods must be crazy, the <laughs> Zeus's bananas or some Hercules goes bananas. Yes. Zeus's bananas. Yeah. Zeus's bananas. You heard it here first. Uh, if ever we get T-shirts done about quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, they actually redubbed him because he was considered to be inaudible by American standards, American cinema goer standards. So they wanted him because he was this big buff, you know, Mr. Universe guy to play Hercules or whatever. Yeah, which makes uh, sense. And then James Cameron's yeah. cast him as genius casting. Of like, yeah, I, I want a guy that just looks like a robot and looks inhuman because he's just so big and yeah. threatening, and yeah. it, and it totally works. And that's where he became amazing. Well, yeah. he, he was like, that's what he used as his breakout. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, it's it's one of those things where, I mean, the 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 eighties nineties action hero is looked on with fond nostalgia. These days, I mean, we 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 still have those characters, but they're not in the same vein that they were. With you know, the lone guy with the gun that saves the world kind of stuff. Like we don't we don't really get that a lot anymore, unless we're looking at Bond. Bond, yeah. Or at smaller scale, like John Wick. Yeah. Like the world he's defending is his world. You know that. that yeah, kind of yeah. Metaphorical thing, but he's still the gunslinger thing. And the cool thing about the gunslinger archetype. Is that it's one of those things that translates across borders. Like it's yeah. massive in American because of westerns. It's massive in Japan because of um, like that whole samurai Ronin mm-hmm. idea, the the lone walking ex samurai, the Ronin. Yeah, uh, and I I know that from watching behind the scenes stuff of why Mad Max, the original Mad Max, was a hit because it did people's head in. Like, why did this Aussie movie made for a couple of hundred thousand dollars shot in the desert? Why did that speak to American audiences and Japanese audiences mm. to demand sequels? Yeah, uh, and it's because that yeah that archetype is is awesome because it's culturally relevant. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And like later we got you know Jason Bourne and um, what's the what's Tom Cruise's. Mission Impossible. No, no. Well, there's Mission Mission Impossible, and then there's the book series guy that. Oh, Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher. That's right. I keep saying Jack Ryan, but that's another series with uh, John Krasinski. Currently, John Krasinski, and the same as yeah. Jack Reacher is being remade already as a TV show yep. with someone who matches the height, which is apparently a massive deal for the fans of the books. I haven't read the books. Yeah. So yeah. Don't crucify me with a, an essay on. How his height is important. I get how the height of a character can be important, but I think from my first touch of Jack Reacher phrasing being uh, Tom Cruise, I really liked that original Jack Reacher movie. I thought it was great, and I thought he was great in that role. I think he had presence, and his height didn't really matter that much. He didn't stand mm. over people, but you also knew that he was business, right? Yeah, like that he he got up in your face, and he got up in your face because he knew that if it came to a fight with a weapon or his fists, mm-hmm. he backed himself to win that fight. Yeah. And he carried that believably. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's I, – I I quite enjoy those kinds of films where there's, you know, the one super cool spy to save – you know, to do a mission and save the world or whatever, stuff like that. Like I've always been a Bond fan despite the – Blatant misogyny <laughs> that exists in blatant misogyny, right? Uh, well, especially in the earlier ones, where uh, you know he did sort of <laughs> physically assault a few women. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that's not 
Good times. That's not great. But, of um, its time. Yeah, yeah. I'm of cringing. It. They can't see my cringe. I shouldn't make jokes like that when they can't see me cringe. No. Um, yeah, and it's – I still appreciate those stories and I've always been like a – as sort of pulp fiction as they are, I love sort of Tom Clancy stories and, and stuff like that. Like I've always, if I'm at an airport or whatever, I always manage to find some, you know, easy to read crap like that and find it entertaining. Did so, you read Clancy? Yeah. I yeah. was always intimidated because it looked like, you know, thesaurus letter T in terms of depth, which um, is big. And he was always like spend a page dedicated to describing an MP5. Yes. And you're like, yeah. he was like the Tolkien, but of, of reality where you're like, bro, yeah. I'm a gun nerd just from like movies and games and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like I probably know more about the guns than you, but I also don't like, you don't need to tell me what an AK 47 is. Well, no. And look, <laughs> I, uh, that, that part of his, his novels is, a little bit difficult to get past. You have to like sort of learn to, I guess, gauge when when a big description like that is coming, and then just kind of skim it because it really adds nothing to the story. Yeah, he's going for the authenticity thing, though. Right? Yeah, so yeah. Like, he'll yeah. describe that in depth, and then he'll create some sort of little semi-grounded but ultimately sci-fi thing that doesn't exist. And if he explains it in the same detail, then it marries up. Like I get, I get the logic. I just yeah, don't agree yeah. that it's a storytelling technique. When I get intimidated by book sizes, and I. I don't know if I'm the only one who does, but like I'm like, will I read this? It's giant. What if I stop? Will I go back and start again? Probably not. And if it's smaller, I'm like, yeah, probably. Yeah. The other guy I used to um, read a lot was Clive Cussler. Yeah, you did. How have we never talked about this before? Yeah, I don't know. Clive Cussler was my man. Yeah. So my um, my grandfather is uh, ex-Navy, so I always sort of imagined that the the, the leading men in those books were him. You know, yeah, right. so I read them a lot when I was a kid, and um, he was really good at coming up with like yeah. um, synonyms for vaginas. Yeah, and I was like, "What is what is that? What is her Mount Vesuvius plum?" Asked <laughs> <laughs> my brother, and that he's like, "Sounds that's awful. a vag." I'm like, "Ah, cool. Don't know why I didn't say that. Don't know why this turned into Mills and Boone." <laughs> no, no. I mean, the this got made into a below average film and that's being nice but Sahara was a good book and a terrible film cringing again I shouldn't yeah Sahara was I think Sahara was my first touch of Clive Cussler yeah and it was it's amazing it's that and and it's not soapy like he doesn't really like there's more adventure than there is sort of soapy relationship material which he raised the Titanic before they realized that the ship had split in two and yeah. put like big balloons in it and floated it to the surface. Sorry, spoilers for anyone who hasn't read it. And I was like, <laughs> that's so cool. Like it, it's yeah. kind of farcical. If, if you think about it too far, you're like, this is dumb. But then you're like, but how cool would that be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To raise the Titanic, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. And see, like my, my great grandfather, um, he, he was, uh, he went down with the ship with the HMAS Sydney, which was only recently discovered like a few years ago. Um, so yeah, like techniques like that, they may well raise that ship one day. I don't know, but, um, it would be a chamber of secrets as it were. So, um, it's always those sort of seafaring espionage and mystery kind of stories that grabbed my attention a lot. And, um, yeah. That's a cool thing about fiction though. You know? Yeah. Like the, the, the nerds, quote unquote nerds that grew up on Star Trek and Star Wars of old who saw lightsabers and 
uh, hollow decks and yeah. all these sorts of things that were like from the mind of some writer went on to be inspired and when it did very normal things, I'm sure, but then wanted to create those. So you see that technology start to creep into reality and our touch points with how things walk and robotics at the moment. I think there's a robot that looks a lot like a an ATST or a chicken walker from um, Star Wars, Return of the Jedi specifically, or mm-hmm. Empire mm-hmm. if you're keen-eyed. Uh, I'm not a Star Wars nerd. Uh, yeah. All roads lead to Star Wars with everything mm-hmm. we've talked about pretty much. Yeah. It's just, that'll, that'll be my fault, yeah. If you're drinking along to this, definitely drink on that. <laughs> Nate's talked about Star Wars again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's just, it's it's interesting because, you know, at, at first I sort of started this conversation thinking, oh, the idea of that lone anti-hero that does everything themselves and emerges victorious as kind of uh, being changed, but has it really? I mean, it's it seems it's a tale as old as time and it's just sort of being updated. It's universal, right? It's universal. It's and the hero's journey. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, I, I, I do kind of miss the, the B-grade action starring, you know, pick anyone from the – what, what was that movie where they were all in it? The, the Expendables. The Expendables, yeah. Pick anyone from any of those films, you know. They all sort of did films like that. And I kind of – I kind of miss them, but I think they're they're still there in you know a slightly different form. If you're looking for it, they all had well, maybe not all. They had their A grades as well, right? Oh, they did, yeah. Like uh, First Blood is is another example of of a genre switch between original and and sequel. The first one being that amazing character study where one person dies in it. It's classified as an action movie if you walked into a blockbuster, apparently you'd have to go back in time to do that. But if you walked into a blockbuster section, you'd find it in action, but really it belongs in drama. Mm. Um, and it's an amazing character study of a Vietnam veteran yeah, um, who sorry, kind of accidentally, almost accidentally kills someone or, or they drew first blood and so he's defending himself. Um, and it's still this amazingly intense movie and it holds up today. I mean, I watched it a few years ago. And then I still love Rambo 2, but it is just unashamedly an action movie. Yeah, and the kill count's huge. It is. It is massive. I think there's a – isn't there a video? There's a YouTube video where they – there's a little counter in the bottom Oh, corner, that wouldn't surprise yeah. me because I think they upped it on every one. Uh, three, to my memory, doesn't hold up. It was a little bit more cringe on rewatch when it was, like, dedicated to the brave troops of the Taliban in Afghanistan, which at the time was Cold War era and – you know, in more recent history is less glamorous, but of its time. Uh, but then the Rambo, which you haven't seen, right? So we're definitely going to have to show you that at some point, like the, the latest one. No, I haven't seen it. Oh, my God. It is just when, yeah, when a sleeping volcano is awoken, basically, and you just get the fuck out of his way. like. Yeah. And they put him in this this situation where you want everyone who's bad to die. Like there's no – they're very mustache twirly villains, but they're all just undeniably evil in what they do. And you're just like, I, I want to watch them die. And they're like, you want to see people die? You want to see a body count? Have hundreds of deaths. Yeah, and occasionally <laughs> I kind of want that. It's good. I don't think you'd necessarily call it B-grade in its execution either. No. But like in terms of its simplicity – um, it works. Like, it absolutely works, as opposed to kind of like the hammy movies of the 80s. So I never really got into things like 
uh, Total Recall. No? No. No, I, I, but I came to that late. Again, yeah, if, okay. you, if you listen to all our episodes, of course you have. Remember my, my Tales of Woe from the last episode about my extremely curated uh, upbringing when it came to movies? Uh, and the main sticklers for my folks at the time were naughty words and naughty parts. So there's a lady with three titties in Total Recall. That's true. And even before the internet, everyone knew it as the movie with the three-titted lady. <laughs> so I was not allowed to watch that. And obviously when I was older, I went back and watched it. But these movies get put on pedestals, you see. And so I watched it and I'm like, yeah, it was okay. But when, when my upbringing was Predator and I'm like, that is not B grade. That is A grade action, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, for me, my favourite uh, B grade—I mean, you'd have to call this B grade, surely—is uh, the Running Man. Um, I was about to use that example. Commando as well. Yeah, yeah. And they like Running Man is so ridiculously ahead of its time. Um, but I, I mean, that's Philip K. Dick for you, so. Um, Stephen King wrote this script under a pseudonym, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's so ahead of its time. It's basically predicted the media world <laughs> that we live in today. It's nuts, isn't it? And it's nuts. But that's where you, you get uh, possibly my favourite and most unsung Arnold Schwarzenegger quote of all time, and it's just the best, is he kills a gladiator called... Sub Zero, and he says, "You wanted Sub Zero. Now look, Plane Zero." <laughs> I remember someone. Uh, there was an amazing shirt that had all of their deaths with the one-liner as well. It was like oh, Sub-Zero, really? Plane Zero on the bottom and stuff like that. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, I've got to find that. No, I appreciated Running Man, but again. It's not that kind of movie that I need to watch. Like, I, I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, I want to watch it. Like, I have the same urges to watch Die Hard or Predator or something. Like, like I'm, you can basically say every month, hey, Nate, do you want to watch Die Hard? I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to watch Die Hard or Predator. Yeah, but I've like, always got time for those. Like, if they're on, I sit down and watch them. You can't help it, right? Yeah. Or you go, you know, if you see it on TV for some reason, you're watching commercials, you go find it in your collection and watch it in better quality without ads. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But... Yeah, Commando, I've only seen maybe once. Again, I enjoyed it, but I'm like, I don't need to see that again. It was the same for Running Man. It was the same for, uh, I just said it and then I'm blanking on it. What was the other one? Philip K. Dick one? Blade, not Blade Runner. Running Man. The other one. Total Recall, thank Total you. Total Recall. Yeah, and controversially, I quite liked the remake. What? But again, I didn't read the book. I didn't have that massive hard-on for the uh, original version because I didn't get to watch it at the time that you're supposed to watch it to appreciate it. Right. So when I came to it late with all these expectations of these movies that I'd missed in my back catalogue and it's why my original DVD collection was predominantly dedicated to creating the best uh, collection of action movies that ever existed. Mm -hmm. So that included the ones that I loved and the ones that I hadn't seen. So any action movie someone strongly recommended, I'd go out and buy it on DVD. Yeah. If it was available in Australia. Remember region codes? Oh, what a joke. Why do they make media consumption so hard? Why do they make it hard for people to pay money to buy stuff? I know. And then why wouldn't you want to release it in a different region anyway? Like, what, If you have your region codes, why wouldn't you want Australia to have 
you know, a movie that for some reason is only available in the US or the UK or I don't know. Dumb. Yeah, right. Yeah, and uh, look, it's it made a whole generation of people just proud pirates, I think. You know. So. Region codes. Yeah. One of the many reasons, right? We yeah. Did, we didn't have day and date releases in Australia. Well, no, and like I remember so often um, wanting to buy something and going to, at the time I was an Apple user, um, going to iTunes and, and looking at it. And that's if it was available at all in the Australia, New Zealand version of yeah, the iTunes store. Not available in this region. Yeah, like let's say it was, then you'd go and it would, I, I remember the first season of Game of Thrones was like $15 an episode. Yep. And... That was very cost prohibitive for me <laughs> at that time in my life. Was that or pay for Foxtel? Yeah. You know, which which I'm sh- I think back then may have not even had like the Foxtel Go component where you could No, it, doesn't, kind of, it didn't, uh, no. And then the problem with that is there's they always say this fucking phrase, unprecedented demand, and you're like, really? Game of Thrones is popular. That's unprecedented? Yeah. And they would have had like, Data on the amount of signups before, like but you just can be, assume just most be, of them just before the season starts and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, please assume that those are for Game of Thrones, and then fire up enough servers or whatever you're doing with your backend to make sure that it can meet demand, and then scale accordingly based on your drop off. Like you have all of the information in your hands. Yeah, but uh, when there's a uh, Rupert Murdoch involved, the world's greatest moustache-toiling villain. <laughs> uh, the all roads lead to his profit margins and how he can have people over a barrel. Um, and the same thing with TV channels and newspapers and stuff that he owns. Like, they're they're, they're done to maximise profit margin, not our convenience. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that's why. It's changing very slowly over time, but... Yeah. It has to. And I think five or ten years from now, like the reason that regional deals were signed and sold in the past was because there wasn't convenient things like Netflix where the whole world effectively, well, a lot of the world could access this single platform and that's why there are regional differences in stores. But even they are talking about the idea of like, yeah, we've got regional agreements right now, Mm. but in the future we're going to be pushing towards global because it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... At the end of the day, who gives a shit if somebody in, you know, Thailand and Australia and the UK want to watch the same movie? I mean, if they're willing to pay for it, just give it to them. That's it. And I think that's <laughs> like, that's what this, this whole thing has taught us, Netflix, the rise of Netflix, the rise of streaming platforms, the studies that have been done into the lack of correlation between someone pirating and their intention to actually purchase it because this is the great lie of piracy ultimately is that people say people want the studios and the ip holders treat it as if it's a lost sale but that's implies that the person would have bought it anyway yeah and then we, we were having this discussion the other day about like books were the original were they the original form of piracy where you'd like loan it to someone so there was one sale but five six ten people maybe were reading the one book same thing with magazines and newspapers, their circulation. Comic books. I used to lend my comic books all the time. Absolutely. So the like, form of media where yeah. one person paid for it and a bunch of other people benefited have existed for the yeah. longest time. 
And when you have things like, uh, I believe it was Radiohead's In Rainbows off the top of my head that they released online for free yeah. and said, pay us whatever you want, including $0 yeah. as an option. And they found, I think the average at the time that I looked into it was more than the cost of a CD at the time. So it just shows people want to give money, yeah. but they want to give money to the creators more than they want to give it to the Rupert Murdochs. Yeah. And um, we just want to be able to conveniently access things. Now that every motherfucker has a streaming platform, I mean, Disney's coming out with one now. Mm. Like, it's so hard to keep track of. And we have Foxtel, we have Stan, we have Netflix, we have uh, Amazon. Yep. We've got a YouTube Red subscription and they're, they're pumping out decent content. Yeah, uh, Hulu. <laughs> and we have Hulu, which we, you know, use the smart DNS to access yeah. because we want to pay people for yeah. their content. But even yeah. then, you're like, you end up doing a Google search to find out which platform it's on. And if it's not on something, you're like, well, what, what the hell? Like, what, what service can I pay a bunch of money for so I can just have everything or I can, you know, at least simplify it a bit? It's frustrating. It's really frustrating. So speaking of frustrating, should we speak about our headlining film? I was just hoping that we could just talk around it and just 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 not do it. Just not do it. No, we should we should talk about it. now what I wanted to talk about at the beginning was how many times have you seen it before we rewatched it? Once. And I had only seen it once as well. I find it quite amazing that a movie that I've only seen once and I only saw once at the cinemas and that was before it came out, it was a media screening, has mostly burnt itself into my brain so much from hate (laughs) and disappointment and sheer bloody frustration that I actually remembered most of it. Except for that really cool scene. Yeah, there was one sequence that you were like, this is about to happen. I'm like, what? Does that happen? And it happened. I'm like, oh, okay. I forgot about that bit. Everything else burnt in there. I mean, not the dialogue or whatever, but... What, the amazing multi-layered characters that just provide so much colour and <laughs> emotion to the story. Well, okay. So here's the thing about... Um, I don't know about you, but for me, my thing with horror movies... Yeah. And let this was supposed to be... a Okay, well, was it supposed to be a horror movie? Do you think it was supposed to be a horror movie? We rewatched the teaser trailer today on YouTube. Yeah, with the... And... <laughs> hope that's not too loud. Awkward. Oh, it's all right. Look, the, the, the thing with the trailer was, like, I really wish I'd have seen whatever that film was that they were trying to sell. But it with wasn't, that, with that wasn't trailer. a horror movie, though, was it? No. It was a good trailer. No, I would say that it, it was, was a teaser. Yeah. moderate sci-fi. Moderate sci-fi. Yeah. From the visionary sci-fi director Ridley Scott comes another moderate sci-fi <laughs> movie. I know, I know. It's, yeah. Now, he'd made Robin Hood. We talked about this the other day. Like, like was this the first point of warning of Ridley Scott could make something bad um but he had made robin hood and that was a 
turd of a movie. And turd of a movie. This to is the- Kevin Costner's Robin. No, 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 no. That you leave that alone. That's a childhood masterpiece that we should definitely do an episode on oh because God. I'm sure I'm very, very sure. I was going to say I don't remember. Up. Oh, I know, I know which one you mean. Russell Crowe. Yeah, Russell Crowe. Yep. And Kate Blanchett on paper, amazing. Mm-hmm. They had the the chemistry of. I was going to say Lannisters, but that's actually that doesn't work. They had the chemistry of actual real siblings like when they kissed you were like no no don't oh like i can't masturbate to this like this is Mm. just yeah it it was like you know i don't need to see that kiss because you two just you're not into each other at all and you don't want to do it and the audience doesn't want but that movie has not burned itself into my brain Mm. it was just a just a turd of a movie and i'm like that's fine every once in a while everyone can make a turd and let's not assume like it's all bad from here, and and he wants uh, Ridley Scott wants to make Prometheus now. Like he wants to make an Alien prequel. Yeah. Now, this movie gets to talk around some backstory stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we read the original script. Yes. By John Spades. Yeah, I I think that's how you pronounce his name. With a question mark at the end, in case we're wrong, and that way we're covered. Uh, but before we go too far into that or do comparisons. That was written, it was given to Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott wanted to make that movie. Yep. And then somewhere along the way, Damon Lindenhoff. Lindenhoff? The Lost Guy. Yeah. He came along and I actually like his little pitch, which Mm -hmm. was, Ridley, there's a problem with prequels and you've seen it in Star Wars and it's not the best example because the Star Wars prequels are trash, but he said the problem with prequels is you already know what's going to happen. Like, what is the point of telling the uh, the prequel of the planet LV-426, which is the planet in Alien, which is the planet in Aliens, um, and how the spaceship got there and all that sort of stuff, Yeah, which is in the original script. It is planet LV-426, and it makes sense as a prequel to Alien in more ways than Prometheus does. Sure. <clears throat> but in Prometheus, they set it on a different planet for... For no discernible reason. Uh, but, like, his argument that Damon's argument that, no, nah, we shouldn't do this uh, because there is nothing unexpected for the audience. People are just trying to make things line up with what they already know of assumed backstory based on the elements that are available in even Alien, mm-hmm. right? There's a derelict, crashed spaceship in Alien with at least one pilot whose chest is bust open does not appear to be a uh, human pilot by the sheer fucking size of the creature. Looks mm-hmm. like some sort of elephant creature yeah. because of its trunk-like apparatus. Mm-hmm. And I actually appreciate that it didn't turn out to be an a- elephant alien and it was armor and that's, that's cool, which was also in the original um, the original script. And that, uh, from my understanding, if I'm recalling correctly, was also Ridley Scott's um, bugbear a, that he was never asked to make an Alien sequel. Mm. Apparently the studio just went straight to James Cameron, which is odd, yeah. admittedly. But he was like, some people said, okay, well, what would you have done? And he said, well, I wondered why people weren't asking more about that chap in the in the seat. They call him the space jockey, mm-hmm. which was the pilot. I'm like, that's a, that's a fair point. Like nobody really ever talks about this guy who even from the evidence of Alien is the pilot of a ship that in his cargo hold is a bunch of alien eggs that when you climb down into it, there was some sort of blue light, like almost defense mechanism thing yeah. that 
tripwire that they trip that starts to wake these creatures up. Yeah. And you're like, hang on, that's not a bloody alien flying that spaceship. Mm Mm-hmm. That is a different kind of alien. Well, it's not a xenomorph, sorry. I'm going to speak in nerd talk so that we're differentiating our aliens. That's not a xenomorph flying that ship. It's something altogether yeah, different. So yeah, so why did he have that in his cargo hold? Like, is he, you know, uh, flying it into the sun? Is it weaponized, which is what it becomes in Prometheus, which is a cool idea. But ultimately, Damon was like, well, Ridley was like, what's, what's the solution then? Okay, so don't make a prequel. I've already got a script. I want to shoot it. I'm, I'm telling people I'm making this movie. What's, what's your solution? And he said, take what you have in terms of a universe and focus on a different element of it. And he already organically had set up that in this particular universe or humanity's future, there is at least one alien race called the Xenomorphs mm-hmm. and there is some, at least one other alien race that we don't know much about. So he's like, focus more on that and less on setting up everything to be about where the Xenomorphs came from. Now, there's a little bit of, oh my God, I really do relate everything back to Star Wars. Um, There's a little bit of Boba Fett going on here because for me, a lot of people's favorite character in the original Star Wars, at least once you get past the main characters, is Boba Fett. Boba Fett doesn't really have much screen time. He's very mysterious. He's very cool looking. And part of what made him cool was the air of mystery about him. And as a viewer, you fill in the backstory. Now, when you find out that he's he's a space Kiwi clone, um, it kind of takes the oomph out of it. Well, it, it definitively destroys <laughs> oh, the Oh, I'm going to get that bounty, eh? Yeah. So I'm, I'm from New Zealand, <laughs> uh, if you don't know. Well, I don't have the accent anymore. I moved over to Australia when I was five. Hence, no accent, but I actually think the uh, New Zealand accent is the worst in the world. No, it's not. Well, I think, hey, I'm from New Zealand, so I can say that. Yeah, well, I'm backing up our little brothers in the globe, okay? Okay. Why are you attacking this New Zealander then? Oh, just go back to where you came from. Ooh. Anyway. I don't mean any of that. I do. I mean the, the brotherly thing between Australia and New Zealand. I will defend that. Because I'm, yeah, I'm super, like, I'm attacking. You are, totally, yeah. I am. Anyways, the accent thing is off-putting for me. Like, even whether you agree or disagree about it being the the best or the worst or it's not that bad, whatever, the point is whenever I hear a New Zealand, a genuine New Zealand accent in a movie that's not set in New Zealand, I find it really, really off-putting. Unless it's taking the piss out of stuff like they did in Thor Ragnarok. You know, that high-pitched... Pacific Island accent that Taika Waititi does. Oh, for- when he's the monster in the yeah, yeah. arena. Oh, that's Doug. <laughs> exactly. Well, he's dead. But that's, yeah. that's like played for <laughs> hilarity yeah. as opposed to like, I'm the biggest badass fucking bounty hunter in the galaxy, eh? And you're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, but just put on an accent, bro. Uh, I like that George Lucas was using local talent. I like that George Lucas was going for a galaxy that had a diversity of accents because that would make sense given different planets and whatnot. I just wish that he hadn't liked the New Zealand accent. That's my personal thing. But once again, when you explain the backstory of a beloved character or, or go into a backstory of a beloved series, you run the risk of pissing people off immensely. I'd say more so than a sequel. I think people are more open 
to having a sequel or a 20th sequel than they are having a prequel. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, a good example of that is the the Halloween franchise because the Michael Myers villain was personified by two things and, and, and that was that he didn't speak and you didn't see his face. To me, that gives you the opportunity then to make him as terrifying as you can imagine, literally. So what is he thinking? Why is he doing these terrible things? Like, why is he literally just killing anybody he can get his hands on? Like, who is he? Like, is he – does he look like a horrible monster? Like, does he look like a soccer dad with four children? Like – who knows? Like the answer is yes, based on what you believe. And no, I'm saying for everything. Yeah, yeah, every yeah. Every answer yeah. is correct. Yeah, because and you fill in the blanks. Yeah, the audience. And and you that like to me that gives you such a great opportunity to, I guess, choose your own adventure with with how you want the villain to be, outside of of what's portrayed on the screen. I mean, Michael Myers could be the most terrifying villain ever to play out on the big screen if you if you wanted him to be because you're given so little um until i think halloween h2o maybe i didn't watch yeah i haven't seen any of them except for the the new one it's one of them it's halloween h2o one of them where you actually go back and you he speaks in the film and you see like you you see what's happened to him from like childhood you know, and you see what he looks like, obviously, and you see it's just not necessary. And 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 it takes like it 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 kind of just spoils the whole mystique around that character. And I think that that was a it was a really bold move to to have a a, a completely mute, terrible villain like carry a film. Yeah, and and, and you know, I, I unfortunately his name escapes me. The original Michael Myers, but I mean. He's basically playing like he's he's completely mute. Like everything that he does is is through body language and actions and you know, a sideways glance that you can't even see because he's got a mask on, all that kind of stuff. And I thought it was really terrific and, and it kind of the more sort of layers of backstory you add on to something, you can really mess with the original things that made something special. It's also why yeah. I think torture porn doesn't work as no. well as effective horror, which may include elements of gore yeah. or it may include someone getting butchered uh, in a toilet cubicle where you can see blood flying up and their legs kicking, Yeah, but you don't actually get to see the, the knife penetrating like it's some sort of fucking twisted porno. No. I've never been interested in watching the Hostel movies or anything like that. I think Saw is about where I draw the line and, and even that became more torture porn than actually trying to be a psychological thriller or horror or anything like that yeah. because you don't need to see it. I mean, there is a certain, there is a amendment, an addendum to that in that off screen deaths often mean not dead. So that is a problem of the horror, you know, genre uh, or, or the audience trying to read into it and going, Oh, is he really dead? Is he not dead? You know, the, like the stoner in cabin in the woods, Oh, yeah, he yeah. disappears and, and you don't actually get to see him killed, but you think you're supposed to think he's dead and he comes back, blah, blah, blah. 
that idea. But also, like, you don't need to be gratuitous to be unnerving and scary and horrific. No, I, I prefer it when it's not like that. Absolutely. Like One of the most terrifying scenes in Alien is when Ripley's trying to uh, work with Mother to, to get the ship, like, moving and moving away, and she thinks that that you know, she's about to escape and there's a xenomorph has been next to her the whole time. And once you once you know the scene, you know you can see it, but when you don't, it's it literally just it's it's stuck to the wall right next to her and then right at the end of the scene it starts moving like to grab her and she she gets away, but that is utterly terrifying. It's to been me. there the whole time. It's been there the whole time, Waiting. and she thinks that she's safe. safe. Yep, that is horror. That for whole me. sequence, and is- there was no blood. She didn't get butchered or seriously injured, and it was terrifying. Well, the captain uh, in the ducts—you don't see any sort of gratuitous death. You see him spin yeah. a light around, and then this creepy face and hands reaching for him. Now, I didn't assume uh, he survived. Ironically, there's that deleted scene. Have you seen the deleted scene? Towards the end of Alien, uh, which actually was very helpful for James Cameron setting up the whole nest. She finds the captain, maybe someone else. I think it's just the captain, like like in Aliens, like slimed to the wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, and he's still alive. And I think he asked her to kill him, and that is other. That is terrifying. That well, they scene. cut it, and I don't think the movie's any worse for losing it. No. Although I don't think if it if that scene had stayed, I don't think it would have been bad. No. It would have been an effective scene. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I see. I just think that these um, prequel, like prequelizing everything, and like beloved series that have had decades to sort of you know, marinate in the minds of movie lovers, you have to be very careful when you add more to the story. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really it – can, it can be really damaging to the classics. To uh, the, yeah, the thing that you created that is yeah. hailed as majestic in your legacy, Ridley Scott. Yeah. Like I was – excited that he wanted to make another like even after Robin Hood I was excited that he wanted to play in the alien space again that he got to play in the alien space again he he didn't get to make a sequel but he got to make a movie in the universe that effectively explored what he wanted to explore in a sequel if you just read into him talking about uh, the space jockey is what he would have looked at in a sequel he got to do that in a prequel and it kind of made sense and that whole pitch I brought up from Damon about I'm just calling him Damon not because I'm with buddies because I just keep butchering his surname in my mind um the whole idea of like let's play in that universe but let's take a different trajectory mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. a different alien okay cool I'm on board with this pitch show me that movie yeah so they didn't make that movie now the script the original script I don't know what you, we haven't talked about it but let's I, talk about it now yeah no I think it was better than Prometheus. Yeah. I think it was better than Prometheus because instead of trying to dodge around, like what you get in Prometheus outside of that pitch that I just said that I was excited about is you get a movie that is still trying to be an alien prequel very clearly. 
And then you get a movie that is still trying to explore its own thing very clearly. So you get these competing elements on top of a whole bunch of other bad shit. Uh, like stupidity that drives the plot forward. Now, in defense of Prometheus, which is just a phrase that sucks, the original script has that garbage sequence where two characters decide to isolate themselves for no reason, get trapped from everyone else and stuck, and they get killed in the same way yeah. they do in Prometheus. Yes. It's the reason why... Uh, there are two screenwriting credits on Prometheus because the original script actually forms the basis of like character names and things like that. In fact, uh, Vickers, was that her name? Yep. That's she's, Shelley's Theron's character. Yes, she's yeah. so much better, I thought. Her character was so much more interesting in uh, the original script. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And her dialogue was less – like she, she was around more and so she was – sort of fleshed out a lot a lot better but her her dialogue that that made it to screen in Prometheus I found that she was just this expositional pawn that did nothing like like if you do that I'll do this because this will happen it's like really on the nose like crappy crappy dialogue to work with but in the script she's she's less like that and she's a, a bit more mysterious and uh, I, I guess a bit more dangerous. To, her setup is way better. Yeah, her setup, she's her three setup dimensional. is better, and she, you know, she's she's smart and cunning and helps drive the plot forward without just ridiculous moments that could easily be cut from the film and make zero difference to the outcome. And her death in the script is incredible. Yeah. And her death in the movie is idiotic. She's 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 just a she's literally just there to provide bits of information that help sort of move the plot forward in the most vanilla way like she you know you son of a bitch you cut me in off you know yeah in in in, Prome in Prometheus not the script, not the script. Right. um so she's her her only use in the film that made it to the screen was to just provide little nuggets that propelled the plot forward, just that tiny little bit. But, you know, and then there's that whole awkward exchange with Idris Elba's character, the captain, and then they go off and assumedly have sex after insulting one another. And I guess that's meant to make her out to be like, this unattainable ice queen that he conquers or something. Oh, really? My, my take on that was like she's this 22nd century woman who is going to shut down your advance but then change her mind and decide that she's going to fuck you, not the other way around. Yeah. Flicks well, hair. Yeah, goes yeah. Goes to bedroom, you know. Yeah, and, and but the, the film does not suffer at all if that entire thing is cut out. Yes. Now, this is – I'm glad you brought this point up because – I recently read um, a book called How to Write Screenplays That Sell. It sounds very dry and very corporate, but it does two things. It deals with the structure and what a film needs to achieve or what a script needs to achieve, and it deals with commercial realities at the end or, or how to kind of unite the two. Right. It's a very dry spiel. The relevance of it for this is that there, the writer, whose name eludes me, apologies, Mr. Writer, makes an argument that – Every scene in a movie has to drive 
uh, not it forward, but has to drive forward the character, the main character's story. Now, the main character of Prometheus is uh, Numi, Numi Rapace. It's not at all how you say her name, so I'm just going to lean into it. Uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo, the girl with the Xeno tattoo, she's the main character of the movie, right? You would agree with that? Yeah. So that scene with Idris and Charlize. Oh, we're talking about Dr. Shaw. Dr. Shaw, yes. Thank yeah, you. That's right. a okay. good way of talking about it. Uh, that scene with Idris and Charlize does nothing to yeah. advance her story. No. It doesn't add anything outside of, it's almost like we need to get Idris in there some more because he's going to have some sort of heroic death. Uh so we need to get him in there more and he's sitting there playing his thing and it's like, why is nobody in constant communication with those dudes who are trapped? Mm. Why are those dudes trapped when they made a big deal out of the mapping software that they had and they had a constant communication, not just with the ship, but on rewatch because I was looking out for this massive plot hole. They have a thing on their wrist that apparently tells them the coordinates of where they are. Yeah. So they should have very easily been able to make it back to their vehicles to drive yeah. back to the, the craft and it, it was just dumb that they kept going to find places to hide and they ended up back at the room i didn't realize this i thought this was like a side room they'd somehow stumbled on they end up back at the room where the alien's head was crushed and the, they decided to dummy spit and run away i'm out and one of them was the biologist right yeah. the one whose job is to look at life but it's the fucking cadaver that he's so scared of. It's been like it's a dead body that's been there for ten thousand plus yeah. years. Like, and he's like, "Oh my god, you know, too far. I've got to get out of here." Really? Yeah. And and why? I can see what they were trying to do because in the script, it's even lazier in the script with how they deal with it. I don't remember how they deal with it. They're just like, "Yeah, well, we're going to walk over here now." Okay, see you later. Buddy system. Yeah, and it's something like buddy system. Okay, I'll stick with them. Yeah, and yeah, we'll yeah. And, and, and that's sort of how they're excused out of the scene. But the point of that, like them leaving, is sports. they want to separate the group. So you can see from a screenwriting perspective, they're like, we have a problem here. We've got a group that is too big. There's too many people to track. We need to kind of start having some people die or at least be hunted or have some sort of threat for this to be a horror movie. Yeah. And the script is a bit of horror movie mm -hmm. than um, Prometheus, which I don't think is at all really a horror movie. Not I don't at think all. they're trying to make it a horror movie. There's it, it, it gives me the, the impression that that was never on the table. But you read the script. Yeah. And you don't think that that was – I think that was a horror movie. I'm not There's saying it was an amazing horror movie. But no, I no, there, was was there were certainly horror elements. Because when the alien threat gets back to the ship. that That's when – I'd say that... And then separation of groups between ship and other place, and it's like yeah. there's no safe place to be. I thought that was very clever. It is clever, and I think that certainly third act turned horror, very much so in the in the original script, but also in the film. Um, but that comes too late, in my opinion. I don't believe that there are enough elements in either state for this film whether it was the Alien Engineer's original script or the film itself, it, all of that was not set up correctly 
for two no. acts. So they're trying to, like, the, the bigger thing of the movie, the script and the final movie, is this exploration of where we came from. Uh, there are way more, there's way more religious stuff in the script than in the movie, but in the movie they still keep elements of it that makes it feel super out of place as opposed to how often it's mentioned in um, the, the original script. In fact... The original script includes a much better explanation for why the engineers wanted to kill us. It actually answers... But that question's not even answered at all in Prometheus. That's Damon. That's old mate Damon. This is my biggest problem with him is that he's a guy who asks big questions and important questions and then answers them with fucking questions. Yeah, but that is fundamental to the the Prometheus film working is answering that question of why humans are so loathed that the fucking engineer wakes up and immediately identifies where he is, what is in front of him, and just tries to kill it all. Yeah, but it's also like like because they're clearly not trying to make a horror movie. That's the other thing for me. If you're going to make a sci-fi thing that's not a horror movie, I mean, you know, your the sequel that you didn't get to make really became an action movie more than a horror movie. It was an action horror, I would argue, but still action over horror. So you can do a different genre. You can have a serious sci-fi thing with the occasional moments of horror or a drama horror or whatever you want to do, but you didn't provide a satisfying answer to the big question that you went out to explore, but that answer was in the script. And it was this idea that, all of our notions of modern day Christianity are effectively like engineers. Like yeah. the Jesus was one of these engineers. And when he got sent back to earth to give us some knowledge, he got crucified. So they were like, that's the last straw. We're going to go to earth and drop this fucking plague on it and wipe it the fuck out. Yeah. We fucked up and we're getting rid of that. And that's when it, the, the weapon that they created turned on them. And it's way more already, like, it's not quite the xenomorph yet. That happens right at the end. Mm. But the you can see the precursor to the xenomorph. And they set it up well in that not just the separation of the two things that I said earlier, where you've got a threat on the ship towards the end. They've got threats loose in the little pyramid structure they're exploring as well. So there's nowhere safe for them to go, which is great because what you want your audience to not be going – Oh, just don't go back to the fucking pyramid if it's bad. Just get on the ship and get out of there. Yeah. And then you've got people on the ship who are like, we can't. Like, there's a creature here destroying systems, so we have to hunt it, and but it is hunting us. Yeah, yeah. So, so we've got to, we've got nowhere to go. We've, we've got to get away from it, stop it. You know, getting, a- getting away from it, the place of escape is the pyramid structure yep. we know we can't go there there's creepy threats there so <laughs> like, you want to yeah. you want to not give your audience that out where they're like just use the phone just drive the car you know you're yeah, yeah. going oh god i want to know how this plays out because there are no easy answers here yeah and they they just they don't they don't do that Here's My Movie is brought to you by Rodenta Energy, Krakow's fourth largest provider of rat-generated electricity. As the old saying goes, if your energy ain't all that, better add a rat. So the script didn't think it was flawless, didn't think it was amazing, but thought it was good. Like thought it is good. It would have resulted, if they'd shot that, would have resulted in a better Prometheus. Yeah, because like you've pointed out, it answers some of the questions. The Prometheus seemed to exist on treating the audience as stupid as the characters within it behave. Yeah. I've never seen, like apart from Alien Covenant, I have never seen a <laughs> cast of characters 
that is so universally fucking stupid. Yeah, and it's like, idiocy they are that drives all the plot forward. Idiotic. And you can't do that. You yeah. can't do that when it's scientists. No. Like science fiction is supposed to be smart. And you've got a group of people, uh, Shaw and I can't remember her dude's name. Holloway. Holloway. Or as we I, I believe we did on the second watch, we did rename him Brometheus. Brometheus. Yeah. <laughs> Shaw so, and Brometheus. Yeah. They are uh, scientists who have dedicated their lives to exploring some sort of fringe notion that there is a, a species that has created us. Yes. Uh, that the, the, the religious law that we've existed by in terms of explaining our creation is completely wrong. Well, not even that. For me, it was more that the scientific community is probably laughing at them as well. Oh, yeah, okay, we got made by aliens. Yeah, okay, yeah, good, good, good luck with that. So they are out proving themselves. Uh, the original script also has Wayland in it, but he's yeah. just at the beginning. He's just there to send them on their mission. But but that makes sense, that, that we needed that establishment. Instead, we've got Vickers again, a.k.a. Sally Exposition, you know, coming in and going, this mission's is a trillion dollars. You better get what we came here for. Exit. Like, it's... Well, no, we get Guy Pierce. Well, yeah. In as, old man makeup. As, as Wayland, yeah. And the only reason that exists is because in the... I can't say the original script. In the Prometheus script, which is not the original script, there was a scene that they cut where David has that funky headgear on where he's watching people's dreams and stuff, mm -hmm. which is super creepy and super awesome, by the way. David is undeniably the best thing about Prometheus. Yeah, yeah. But he is actually communicating with uh, Wayland, but Wayland as Guy Pierce in his normal, how he looks at the beginning of Covenant. You know, that's why they cast Guy Pierce because they were like, we're going to show David dreaming of this younger Wayland because it's his creator, it's his father, like that idea of like, which is cool. Yeah. And then we're going to have him come in later as an old man because he wants his immortality thing. Right. Yeah. Which just felt super shoehorned. It was super shoehorned and not established. And the the original script does go some way in making that all far more seamless. Well, they have mercenaries. Yeah. Because is this mysterious, like she's a roadblock, like she is in the movie. Uh, but in the script, she's she's there to take over if they find something. But she's not even interested in the aliens. No. She wants, um, what is it, the terraforming technology. Yep. And they cleverly set up at the beginning that there's terraforming problems on Mars or something like that. Wayland is very interested in travel and colonizing new worlds. And so what you get then is you get a link from uh, Prometheus or Alien Engineers, as the script is called. And something like Aliens, where they've, they've terraformed with a pyramid device that's a terraforming device that it turns out has come from, Wayland has taken from these, you know, these uh, engineers. Yeah. and uh, It's, un a it's not, a not necessary detail, but it's a cool little like, oh, wow, that's like a prequel to Aliens as well. It's more than what we got. Yeah, and it's a, it's a better reason to create a prequel because you're getting surprises and little nerdy elements like that that you don't need, but you're like, this actually adds to the bigger picture of the story. Yeah, like instead we got a withered old Wayland 
you know, Guy Pierce wearing makeup. Terrible makeup. And it was like, you know, a grade nine drama class did it. Yeah, like and it, it was, wasn't like it Benjamin was really, Button where Brad Pitt legit looks like an old man. No, no, no. It was really bad and there's a reason that there's no like extreme close ups of Wayland in the whole film because it really is Oh and <laughs> it really is shocking. We had it in four K now I couldn't bring my I always wanted to watch Prometheus again because I'd only seen it once because Ridley Scott's visually quite amazing and there is some amazing cinematography especially when the Prometheus is landing and the the shots of it in space going through the clouds and things like that which I adore visually at least in the first act it's it's gorgeous but I was like I don't want to pay money for this so Mm. mum can you buy me Prometheus for Christmas so that I'm not paying for it what Um, an embarrassing purchase but we watched it in we watched it in uh, 4k we did so it looks even worse his makeup looks even worse under the 4k lens yeah, and he like his whole motivation is like, oh gosh, you're on the ship, like, oh, I didn't know you were here, and then it becomes like, yes, you know, I created all this stuff, and now I want immortality, and that is his only established motivation for being there. Why did he think that the engineers were going to be able to give him that? Well, like, th- that's not-, not established, but it is in 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 Alien Engineers because it is. Sort of. Well, because there's. But he's this- not there in Alien Engineers. No. No. In the beginning, he is. Yeah, he's at the. But he's not there at the end. He's not on the ship going. Oh no no no! I'm here to live forever. I've no. Got three days left to live, and these these big guys can probably do it right. No 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 no! You're right. Like he he that whole scene with the weird immortality he's there at the beginning story to send him on an adventure, and yeah. then he's the fuck out of there. Yeah yeah, and that works because that that actually you could bring in that whole immortality thing if you wanted to possibly in Covenant or something like that, um, because that establishment scene, he there's a, there's a great line actually in, the, in, that, um, in that one Wayland scene in the original script and he said, um, you know, he'd, he's, he's explaining about how he'd made all this money and then he said, and then I decided to look at what God does and just do that. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like... They that makes it, a man that is playing God for money needs to keep on living. But he thinks that he is God. Yeah. And that whole, like, the religious overtones of yeah. the script, are, the original script, are way more ingrained, yeah. you know, with, with Holloway. It's Holloway who's super religious, not sure, which they make her have some, like, crisis of faith and there's the the cross that becomes this big deal and yeah. she loses her faith when she's lost her cross but then she puts her cross back on and when asked a legitimate question about why she still believes in God, she's like, because faith. I'm like, you're a scientist. Like, have a better answer than that. Like, if you, yeah. I don't have a problem with a Christian scientist, but just don't have, la- like, lazy. But, but, but that's an opportunity to establish character in an amazing way where her, you know, Maybe her system of faith is separate to her scientific belief system, but that's what keeps her grounded and moral and safe. You know, that would be really interesting to explore. Yeah, you but know. none of these characters are three-dimensional. No, no, no. And, um, you know, it, it, look, it has to be said this is... Except for David, sorry. Except for David. David's, yeah. He is the most clearly, like, Ridley loves him. Clearly the screenwriters both love him, like, because he is... He has the best lines. He's in most scenes. In fact, he probably should have been the main character because he's the most interesting one, most fleshed out. Well, and he should have been the main character because they've set it up to all 
like everything hinges on David now. Everything. Well, post covenant, you're talking about. Yeah. Because. Well, everything hinges on David from the events of Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Yeah, but like the end of Prometheus, when they go off into space and she's, you know, captain's logging it up, uh, it's like, okay, so our next adventure is going to be these two. Cool. And then you get to Covenant and Shaw's not even there. I mean, she is, but later and off screen deaths and. Watch movies. Whenever we talk about them, just pause and just go watch it if you're worried for spoilers because we're going to talk spoilers. Uh, but, yeah, so she has nothing to do with it, and it's all about the David show. In fact, they double down on the David show because there's two Fassbender robots. Yeah. Um, which is cool, but it sets up the most obvious fucking twist in history that is so poorly executed that you're just like, why did you even bother? Like, you didn't even – you should have made us think that and then done something different with it, at least to mm-hmm. do a double bluff. But you're like, oh, no, they're going to do this. And, and somehow he's faked this, the exact same damage that the other robot had to be believably thought to be not the bad David. And it was just, for me, the biggest problem of Prometheus is that whole questions answered with questions, which is arrogant because it says oh, yeah, we're going to make Prometheus 2, didn't you know we're going to answer the questions then? It's like, no, you can still answer the questions that you set up in the first movie and then create a reason for them to go on. So we found out why they wanted to destroy us uh, after they created us. And they didn't create us in uh, Alien Engineers, by the way. They modified us. Mm. So they, they... They modified our DNA. To make us more intelligent, I think, was my interpretation. Yeah. Um, uh, we're and, kind of like knuckle draggers. Yeah, and the whole black goo pool, like primordial pool thing, has far more importance than just that initial scene with the engineer creating life by drinking the goo and then disintegrating into the planet. Like that, that, that isn't just a one hit and never return to point in the story, like yeah. it is in Prometheus in but- Alien Engineers. They uh, Shaw goes on to explain that the like the the idea of them being creators is is not so much that they created us from nothing, more that they enhanced us with what they had and changed our DNA structure forever. Yeah, and they, well, they came back multiple times. They used to come back every five or ten thousand years as well. Yeah, yeah, and to, um, to kind of tinker. Yeah, like, that was my impression. And look, it has to be said that the Alien Engineers script. I mean. As a reader, I I didn't love it. No, his writing style is very disjointed. His writing style is quite disto- yeah, quite disjointed, um, uh, bland in parts. I would even go on to say there's some really beautiful dialogue and some really nice action lines and stuff like that that I did like. But overall, uh, John Spate's writing style is not my cup of tea. At all, it's good um, death sequences. Yeah, yeah, death, like um, that bit where the guy gets dragged into the the grate that's yeah. too small for him. Oh, uh, I, I could see it. And see, I that's that's the, that's good horror. Like that's yeah. that's good stuff. But the um, yeah. So uh, look, it's not like I'm this die. Ha- like I'm going to die on the hill of defending the original script because it's so amazing. It is good. I think it's actually the like from what I've seen. I haven't read. That's the only one I've read. But from the other films of his that have been made, it's the best script. I mean, his his other works are Doctor Strange, 
the 2017 remake of The Mummy <laughs> and Passengers. Yeah, Passengers uh, is hugely problematic, but Passengers is one of those movies that behind the scenes people have talked about. The script was very different from the eventual movie. Yeah, so, so like maybe the script was amazing. I should go back and read it I've, because uh, the movie was everything. dreadful. Yeah, the movie is reprehensible, I would argue. Yeah, like it's – yeah. I mean, Anyway, I don't want to talk about that right now. We but. Do, we're going to do that. I think that's going to be a later episode. Maybe, yeah, because it really is vile. Yeah, but there are like, ways to make it better. Oh, yeah. You know, and it would be good to revisit his stuff. But look, Doctor Strange – is probably my least favourite Marvel movie. It's because it's very forgettable. Oh, and Except it's, for the visual action sequences, which doesn't really have much to do with him, I imagine. Yeah, but, you know, and, and the Mummy uh, 2017 remake is frankly insulting to the uh, to the original series. I thought the original series was pretty great. Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser. Yeah, not the 1920s Mummy Oh no, no, no. That was Universal's original monster. Yeah, right? true, yeah. true, true. No, um yeah. But, I haven't seen it. You know, we watched the the Brendan Fraser mummy recently and it holds up. Like So, except for some CGI uh which isn't the best, but it was 1999, I yeah. think I want to say. Uh the the story holds up, the characters hold up, the the humor holds up, the action sequences hold up. Yeah, it's so, great. It's great. You know, and I I don't I don't know, like it again I don't know why they this it was remade like under- well, they wanted to make a monster universe. They wanted this is the problem of Marvel's success. They wanted to make the Avengers of I'm not even joking, mm. the Avengers of Monsters movies. They had a they had a shoot with the actors, like a photo shoot with the actors who were going to play the other monsters. And I think uh Javier Bardem was going to play Frankenstein, I want to say and they had uh, Johnny Depp was going to play the Invisible Man. I'm not even kidding. Like the Mummy was the first step, and uh, Russell Crowe's character is Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, mm. running that organization was going to be the link between them all. They were going to introduce them all in solo movies, and then have them all fight together. Right. Like right. the Mummy fighting beside the Wolf Man, fighting beside the Invisible Man, because of the fucking Avengers. And everything had to be a cinematic universe. Yeah, see, uh, for me, I don't know. Look. It's a bad idea. It's, it's a bad it's idea. A bad idea. Yeah, it's a bad yeah, idea. If it's organic, and cool. If it's not, don't do it. He was actually uh, the the original Prometheus screenwriter was nominated for a Razzie for the worst screenplay for The Mummy. So, wow. um, and I, it's, look, it's a, it's a just about, it's about as unwatchable as a film gets. I tend to just write it out. There's very few things I've ever walked out of. Um, but that's just, yeah, like it, it's, there's nothing there for me. Well, I really. thought it was okay. I think that the hate that it copped was unnecessary. I'm oh, not, not going to defend it. It was a completely unnecessary. Yeah, it movie. Just, it, for me, it was. It was I, no like, I don't understand. Yeah, like I, I didn't understand why it was a thing. Like I just didn't get it. And it didn't um, add anything new for it to exist in a new form. Yeah, I'm okay with remakes as long as there's a reason to remake it that, that yeah. becomes evident when you watch it, rather than just going, "Oh, yeah, because we own a license and we've got to make a movie." Yeah, and the Doctor Strange thing, like he's working with a character and source material already. Um, so it's obviously not his fault. But Doctor Strange I find really unlikable, especially 
when you're telling the, his origin story, it reeks of like, you know, rich man has problem, is sad. <laughs> you, yeah, well, you know, it is. It, it, there is. There is. Uh, he his his misfortune is all a result of his own actions. Um, but that's a deliberate setup. The the arrogant dickhead who has a fall from mm. grace, and they have to fall proportionate to that, like because he's a d bag. Yeah. So his fall has to be hard enough for someone like you to go, oh, okay, I feel sorry for him now. I want to see him redeemed. Mm, but uh, if he doesn't, he didn't fall hard yeah. enough. He was he he had a slight hiccup in his life, and quote unquote lost everything, which was, you know a line of luxury supercars and watches. <gasps> yeah, and a, and all of that stuff. You know, um if you mismanage your money uh when the times are good, then that's that tends to be what happens if yep. something happens. So I, you know, I don't really feel that sorry for for him for that. And that's kind of what we got and and in exchange for his repent, he became a superhero. Yeah. Like he wins again, yeah. I think- is, so, so the the writer doesn't have a whole lot of amazing source material to work from there, but I found that movie like pretty boring. Yeah, I think the biggest problem with Doctor Strange for me is that it's just literally the Iron Man story, yeah, with a less charming lead and magic yeah. instead of you know good old fashioned smarts and ingenuity. Like I can respect yeah. Tony Stark and forgive Tony Stark for a lot more because he actually goes and does stuff with his hands and puts his skills that were previously used to, you know, be an arms dealer and turn them into creating something that he can use to defend people. Yeah. I can respect that infinitely more than, yeah, a guy who is D-bag, crashes car, breaks hands, can no longer be a surgeon, and then goes, I'm going to try alternative medicines and now I'm a magic guru like yeah like okay great and i like benedict cumberbatch i find his accent distracting in that movie for Mm. me and accents right uh but yeah i just was like you watch doctor strange because marvel is now like the days of our lives or home in a way like if you're gonna watch one you're gonna watch you know 10 you might as well watch them all and yeah but it's just like you know surgeon breaks hands through own selfish fuck-up, becomes magician and chiropractor. Yeah. You know, like, fuck you. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, and I think he works well as a supporting you know? character. I yeah. liked him a lot more in Infinity War yeah, yeah, yeah. than his own movie. But it's the same thing but for they're, Ant-Man. They're not concentrating on him. No, but there's these, these characters yeah. who clearly work better as supporting characters, Ant-Man, uh, Doctor Strange, and when they get their own standalones, you're like, oh, I didn't really care yeah, about yeah. them having their own stories. But they sure do make good, you know, side characters. Let's keep them as that. Yeah. And, you know, so, look, I don't want to, you know, put too much shit on this writer. But, yeah, he, he hasn't, he, like, for me, he hasn't had a great track record. Um, I don't think he, like, his writing's not my cup of tea. But the his writing a- style. His writing style right. is, is not my cup of tea. Um, but... In terms of of what we saw with Prometheus and what he proposed, I would have much rathered his version. I thought that it was far better in terms of its chronology. I thought that it answered the questions that it raised. 
Um, and I, I'm disappointed that it was so doctored by the time it got to the big screen. And I'm just going to bring up IMDb real quick because I found this utterly insane when I was bringing it up earlier uh, to look at Brometheus, mainly just to get names right, and I couldn't even do that. But according to uh, everyone who's voted, 536,126 people, Prometheus has a rating of 7 out of 10. Mm. And on Metacritic, its Metascore was 64, which puts it in the green. What the fuck is wrong with you people? Like, even fanboyism aside about Alien and Aliens, and remember, with Alien, the series... We've been burnt before, you know, Prometheus came along with Aliens vs. Predator, depending on your feelings on Alien 3 or Alien Resurrection. Those are not stellar examples of a series that had two incredible first entries. So we're used to disappointment in the series. And then Prometheus came along and it was just like... Somehow worse. Next level disappointment. And I, I just think... You know, I worried about how much of it was just my own expectations going in that I described earlier, but on rewatching, it just was all confirmed. It was almost like it was worse because of the plot holes that I went out of my way to look for. Yeah, and there's just things that are are, are brought to our attention that are just never explained, and it's it's an arrogance on the part of. I guess you could say the director and producers at this point because ultimately they have sign-off on the final thing. And it's almost like the conversation went, oh, the audience is too fucking dumb anyway, so they're not going to know or they're not going to care or we'll just pretend that they're the stupid ones if they can't understand why something's happened. You know, and I I hate that arrogance as part of this film. Like that scene with the hologram um, – when they first enter the slimy pyramid cave before the biologist checks out yeah and you and they they see a hologram of engineers reacting to something that they can't that isn't shown in the hologram but they're running away we never find out what they're running from no we only make assumptions yeah but it's 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 the like it's that feels to me to be very important in understanding what went down. I mean, is it part of the reason why they now hate us? Is it? Is there something worse coming that's even scarier than the engineers who hate us? Like The, the, the hologram stuff was set up in Engineers, the, the, the script, Alien Engineers. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it was repeated throughout. Yeah. And it had payoffs and it was yeah, but, much but it, better. Yeah, it had payoffs. And we like that but that's just thrown up as like oh yeah that would look cool and that's a bit mysterious um you know and it's not the kind of mysterious that you get from boba fett or michael myers when they're not talking and not saying much and cloaked in mystery it's you've established something that's clearly important and now we've been forced to forget about it because yeah. you didn't follow it up again yeah I think it's stupid characters driving the plot forward is a bugbear for me. It's a particular bugbear in science fiction when mm. you're dealing with scientists who are supposed to be smarter, and they should be. Well, this is exactly what I would change. Like, here's my movie. Make a fucking more intelligent cast of characters. Yeah. That's number one for me. Yeah, that's actually on my list. For here's my movie as well. I'll yeah. I'll jump in and say that. Um, because you can see uh, from a screenwriting level that they've gone – 
like I said earlier, we need to separate characters. We need to start knocking these people off. Okay, cool. Find a smarter way to do it. Find a better way to do it. Have a fucking alive alien in there that's hunting them or something. Have yeah. them separate because the storm cuts through and smashes a big fucking hole in it or something collapses and there's two people on different sides of a... Ca- like, these are just obvious stupid ideas. But you have something that you want to achieve in a scene, separate people. Yeah. Okay, then find a better way to do it and find a way that is consistent with what should be the assumed intelligence of your characters. And that's also part of how people bond with them. When I see idiot characters, I want to watch them die. Like, I'm like, hurry up and die. So when uh, Holloway wants to rush out to go to the pyramid when they've just landed on the planet, oh, we can wait till morning. No, fuck that, let's go now. They spend a few hours there and a big old storm rolls in. He finds a dead alien. They take its head back. They find this crazy goo. And then he gets back to the ship and starts getting pissed because he's like, well, didn't get to ask my creators what, what's going on. Later in the movie, we find that there's one of them fucking asleep somewhere. They hadn't checked the whole fucking place. They'd checked one room that a hologram led them to. And he is freaking out like his whole life has been a waste. Now, Again, from a conceptual point of view, you can see we need to find a way to make this guy lose faith at this point for mm-hmm, whatever reason. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a better way to do it than that. He's also the dipshit who takes his fucking helmet off. And look, and but that's just so stupid because nobody with a brainstem and his training would do that in an unfamiliar area. But also freak out guy. Remember freak out guy before he freaks out, is like, apparently we're taking our helmets off now. That is a perfect opportunity. Have him have this scientist Holloway be a dipshit. Have him take his helmet off and have everyone else go, nah. Because later on, they feed through this idea where Shaw's saying, I think we might all be infected. It might be airborne because she doesn't know that David's, you know, poisoned him or put the shit in his drink. Mm-hmm. So you can actually play into that. Yeah. Believably, because she's still on that line of talk right up until the end. But also, if you're on the ship and you see these dipshits take their helmets off, it's like you're not coming back on the ship. No. Or immediate quarantine. You could be infected. Don't take your helmet off. So yeah, and, and the idea of quarantine is just brought up so fucking late in this film. There is so many there are so many. There's literally like an hour and ten minutes of the film where the crew is subject to contamination. Yeah. And it's only when someone's near death that they're like, he needs to go to the quarantine bay. It's only when Shaw calls for it. And I'm like, really? Like, he looks really sick. We need a quarantine. Like- you know, and you, look at, and you look at Alien, the original and the best, um, <laughs> and the quarantine is a deciding factor in – Ripley, like that, that's part of Ripley's character building because she refuses to relent. And she was right. And she was right. She was so right. And I know that, okay, so with Prometheus and then Alien Covenant, we still have an 18-year gap between Covenant and Alien 1. Okay. So there's still 18 years to fill in there, which is assumedly the next film. And we still haven't gone to LV-426. No. And now it seems like even if they make that movie, there's no fucking point because we already know what's going to happen. Yeah. Disappointment plus a spaceship crashing on the fucking planet with eggs in its hole. Yeah. But it's just like, so, you know, you've established the need for strict quarantine in the very first film. 
that is carried over into Aliens, you know, it, it's actually a feature in all of them, apart from. But it should be. Yeah. It would be in our reality where we exist right now. Yeah. Oh, you, you know. went into Chernobyl? Uh, quarantine. Like, it's a no brainer for us, the plebs of society, let mm-hmm. alone people going to alien worlds. Now, you can take that idea of helmets coming off and you can make it better. Like, those two trapped dudes who I'm suggesting were trapped in a very different way from I'm going to have a hissy fit. And this other dude, by the way, seemed to just want to bone that guy. Yeah. And they, that was the setup for like people are going to ask questions why this dude just follows him. What are we, how are we going to address that? Oh, make it seem like he wants to fuck him. Okay, maybe he wants to fuck him, but he doesn't want to fucking like go off alone with this guy into a hostile territory and potentially die. So no. have them have their helmets on. And then they start to run out of oxygen. So they have to risk suffocating in their helmets or taking the fucking helmets off. Mm-hmm. Also, when they come across a space cobra, particularly after freaking out, have them not interact with it. In and fact, don't go coochie coochie Have coo. them back off. Now, the movie even set up, I'm assuming, like I only interpreted this the second time I watched it, but there, was, there were worms in the dirt. At the beginning, and I always thought that that was just their way of showing some sort of life when they get to those weird cylinders that start bleeding the goop, right? I thought, oh, okay, so it's showing there is some sort of life on this planet. But the goop actually appears to, you know, morph conveniently however it wants to. Either it creates it's a, it's a humanity light- or... <laughs> I'm led to believe through reading the original script and reading between the lines in the fucking turd show that was Prometheus that, that it's, a, it's its own life form. Right. But it does diff- very different things based yeah. on what it touches, which is also okay because I guess that leads to the xenomorph yeah. where it impregnates, you know, uh, a dog and it becomes something different to a human to like yeah, yeah. it takes on its host fishes. That's fine. But the worms, like there were multiple worms that you get to see multiple times in these shots to go, that's kind of important. Yeah. That is what becomes the cobra. But I'm assuming there would be multiple ones. So what you have is you have the same situation where these trapped idiots can't get back to the ship. There's a storm outside. Okay, they're isolated, and we're going to see some people die in a cool way. Cool. I'm all for it. Cobra comes up. They're back in the fuck away, and then there's suddenly other ones. Yeah. So they're trying to get the fuck out of there. They've got to, what, put their helmets back on and suffocate with nowhere to run, and they're being surrounded and stalked by these things. Mm -hmm. Maybe they run for a bit, and we play with the idea of them choking and then having to take their helmets off and then worrying about their faces getting attacked. Like, have an actual sequence where there is suspense. And stakes. And stakes. And we're like, I would, there's not an obvious thing I would do differently. There's one snake in this many roomed place. Don't go up to it, run away from it. And also, yeah. When I'm the guy who likes yelling at people's faces for their stupid ideas on a mission that I agreed to go on for some reason and I'm now being an asshole about it, so I leave. When my fuckhead mate, who I don't even like, who I've been rebuking this whole time, picks up the fucking cobra that I said not to and it starts breaking his arm, I go, all right, dude, uh, I'll go get help. And then I abandon him. Yeah. Like in a New York minute. Because he's a fucking idiot and I don't want to help a fucking idiot who is got a death wish. No. A geologist who's scared of a dead alien but thinks that an alien that literally looks like a snake and on Earth 
people don't go up to snakes and go coochie coochie coo unless I don't know there's Steve Irwin or something. Did he even he play with snakes, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, a lot. But you know, again, trained ranger. I yeah. doubt that he would go up to an unknown species and do that. You know what? That they would have been better off doing that. He was space Steve Irwin. Yeah. Some wrangler of new but he, species. But, 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 but okay, it would have made more sense if there was some establishing line there of this is a blah blah. I know what this is. But he wouldn't have known what it was. Well, no, but he, he could have like, look, mistaken it for something and that would have even made more sense. Yeah, and it's one of many examples of idiocy used to drive the plot forward and that's just lazy. But it's all that it had. There was, the movie? Yes. Yeah, with there occasion, was, occasional moments like the head bit, the exploding head that you liked. Yeah. I thought that was handled better than the original script. Yeah. Where they take it out of the mask and the oxygen starts making it like melt so they're running to get it in formaldehyde or whatever to preserve it and they end up like cutting out its eye and then yeah, no, it's, it's way better that they, they made it. Explode. They, yeah, well, they electrified it and then couldn't turn it back down and then it's like animating itself and then it explodes. Like that's awesome. I just, I just thought that was stupid. Really? Like, like again, they've got an alien head. Yeah. <laughs> and then we find more bodies later when those dipshits are walking around lost. So yeah. there's a good chance there's more than one body there. They saw three fucking creatures in the fucking hologram. Yeah. So we might be able to get another alien head. Or maybe, you know what? Maybe we don't. Maybe this is the only one. Oh, let's put electrodes in it immediately and see if we can get it to talk. Ah, it's not talking. It's going to explode. Cover it. I know. But, they, but this is the level of stupidity that I grew and to why expect. Why didn't it explode so it was, on them? It's hilarious. Like, I mean, it's a little bit gross out, but like, shouldn't they be punished for it beyond losing their alien head? Shouldn't they be like covered in the, like they're in there trying to save it, and then poof, explodes on them, and then there's a quarantine question again. Like, there's just little tweaks that you could make to the garbage that exists. Oh yeah, totally. To elevate it, I do really like the sequence. Apart from David. Who's awesome? I really like the uh, the sequence where she gets the thing cut out of her. I like even the, the the hammy. It sounds a bit hammy at the time. It sounds a bit convenient that it's calibrated for men. Yeah. But when you realize that that's probably because Wayland is stowed away, you're like, actually, that's kind of clever foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, instead of it being like, why does this chick? I'm assuming Vickers is a woman. Why does she have a thing in her room that's set to? Like, man, that's that's weird. Uh, but, yeah, so she has to work around this problem against a big ticking fucking time bomb in her uterus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a really well-done sequence and, and quite horrific. What's weird is that nobody seems to give a fuck that there's a creature in there. Now, No, they, no, that's all secondary to They the, knew that she yeah. was pregnant. Yep. Uh, they knew that she stumbled out of a machine with stitches on her stomach. In fact, one of the guards at the end, who doesn't even have a name, I'm pretty sure, is like Mercenary 2, hits her in the stomach with the butt of his gun because it seems like he knows that she's in pain. She's doubled over. So they're like, she's been in the medical machine. I wonder if there's – and she's not pregnant. Any, like they just leave this fucking thing to grow into the size of Grave Mind. Sorry, that's a really – Halo reference. Uh, and nobody cares. This is alien fucking tentacle monster on a ship. Yeah. More idiocy. Yeah, it's really bad. Like, it's really, really bad. So smarter characters. Yeah, smarter characters. And the, sec the number two question for me, like the number one is like, why is everyone so dumb? Please get a fucking more intelligent cast that's worthy of their 
titles and why they've all been brought on a trillion-dollar mission. Like, what, are you just getting some meth addicts off the street that don't matter and putting them together or something? Like, no, you've got the best and brightest and you've got people with jobs and certain skills and expertise to come on this journey for a reason, but they're all really stupid, like the – and too stupid to be in those jobs. Yeah. They've spent that amount of money to hire idiots. <laughs> to hire idiots. So that just makes no sense. It does the, the second thing that is really just – it's and it, it, was, it was a problem for me when I first watched it and it's a problem for me still because it's still not resolved and it's actually not resolved in the original script either. And perhaps I'm being too picky but – They've established, they established right at the beginning um, that the journey is massive. You know, people are going into a, into a cryo sleep, um, that they're many, many Earth years away from where they need to be. Now, as a result, that means that everybody on this mission has essentially abandoned their life on Earth. I thought it was only four years in Prometheus. I think they mentioned it at some point being like four years away from home. Four years, okay. I don't know. I, I agree on the original script. I don't think they addressed that at all. Oh, okay. I well, thought there was a line of – I recall maybe I imagined it, but I recall a line of dialogue in Prometheus, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, that was like something like, yeah, I'm four years away from home. Right, which right, Which made right. a lot more sense for why people would give up their – literally give up their lives. And by give up their lives, they're giving up everything that – keeps you a connected human being back home, right? Their pets, their family, their wives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they're saying, you know, we're doing this for money. And it's like, but the the amount of light years away from Earth that they establish in the beginning of the film and also in the beginning of Alien Engineers is decades away. Based on our current travel. Yeah, you, yeah, I and it's like allow... so, so that everybody that they knew or loved or was familiar with would be long dead by the no, time they got back. No, so that's I mean, a hell of a sacrifice. With sci-fi, you know, I always assume that the technology is better so the, right. sh- the ships are faster. I think that that's better than going, what, what if I tried to swim to the moon, it would take me, you know, like it's like that is for me the least of – the problems. Yeah, yeah, movie. it is, but it, but it's jarring for me. It's yeah. like because everybody needs a motivation to be there, and unless you're saying that you've got this triple threat of someone that is a willing to go for the compensation that you've laid out, b has the skills that you need, and c is a lone wolf. That's yeah, they're all orphans or something out for themselves and not connected to anything on Earth and you've somehow assembled a whole crew of those people, then, you know, the, it begs the question is like, okay, so, you know, these people are making a huge sacrifice that's not really explained. But, okay, so I've, you're saying that, that it's actually been established that they're only four years away. I think there was a throwaway line about it. So it's an eight-year round trip. Yeah, which is not that bad. Which is not that bad. And in the, in the original script, I don't think they mention the time. It's assumed, like I'm assuming... Like you make a very good point if they haven't thought of it because I'm always assuming that they're years away from home. They're never decades. Like in Aliens, that amazing like how the fuck did you delete it studio 
that scene at the beginning where, you know, Ellen Ripley learns that her daughter, Amanda, is dead from natural causes. From old age. Of and old age. And she's she's been in a cryosleep, so she's exactly the same. And her infant daughter has grown up and lived a long enough life to die of natural yeah. causes, having never found out what happened to her mum. And see, for me... That is sad. No, but it's it's amazing drama. And yeah. It's, it's like at a total sci-fi yeah. problem, like, you know, you're being your own grandfather in a time loop movie sort of idea where yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. hashtag sci-fi problems, am I right? But with that logic... Like if you're assuming, if we're assuming that to be true and canon and all that stuff, which it is, Mm -hmm. then you would also have to assume that either Ripley is the most terrible mother that ever existed, (laughs) who's like, I'm going on this long haul trip and I'm not going to be back until you're dead. Glad I had you. See you later. In which case it would make no sense that she was devastated in uh, Aliens. Or these are long trips maybe years, mm-hmm. but they're not decades because I can't see a parent who's assumedly chosen to have their kids and is happy about that yeah. willing to sacrifice decades. No, no, no. Which definitely. is, you know, the problem that you get in Interstellar where they're trading relative time on one planet is decades back home, so they're like, yeah. we've got to do this fast type thing, which is great. Tension. Yeah, yeah, and, and I guess that's sort of where the question comes from is 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 – Timelines like are established in Aliens, Interstellar, um, where that matters. Time is like, like, like light years make a difference. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So that, that, I guess that's where that came from. But yeah, if they, look, if they've made a, a reference to it, then fine. Prometheus gets one point. Yeah, they can get away. Really, Scott's like yes. Yeah, and I will say, <laughs> like, you've already established that the I did like the scene where they blew up the head because yes. that was that was kind of hilarious and fun. Um. Oh, the other thing I liked about it is the uh, the, the the font on the title. Yeah, that's a sharp font. <laughs> you did say that. Yeah. Oh my god. So how many? Um, what will be the the rating scale? How many? Oh, what's a terrible? Oh yes, this is what I was going to go with. How many flutes out of five mm. do you give it? Where I will do the blowing and you do the fingering. Out of five. Yep. I don't know. It's a star system. I'm replacing stars with flutes. <sighs> Two? Yeah. That's what I settled on. Um, And that's only – look, I was going to say, you know, it's got a pretty good soundtrack, but it's basically the Alien soundtrack just kind of reimagined in a lot of parts. I think it's, it is a good soundtrack. It's a soundtrack that I actually, well, select tracks from it that I write to. to this yeah. day. I write to movie soundtracks and – and it holds up, and and it's quite majestic, especially the beginning with the yeah. opening shots of uh, Earth. Yeah, the that that soundtrack that or that theme is incredible, and it, it evokes the ideas of discovery, and and it's a setup for something that you want to see more. It's, it creates that air of mystery. Well, yeah, it does. That and- just continues throughout the whole film, including why did so many great actors sign up to this movie? Ridley Scott, why did you direct this script? Uh, why are your characters making all these stupid choices? Why is this not a horror movie? I mean, the only thing it gives us, which, you know, if Alien Covenant wasn't out already and we could see what a turd it was, this would be even more exciting. Um, but the, the, the thing that it gives us is establishing David as the crux of everything. I mean, him having unprecedented power 
the power of creation, the power to destroy or build humanity as we know it. Yeah. Um, So that was established in Prometheus. It's sort of re-established and planting the seeds in Covenant, albeit in a very ham-fisted way. Um, so the next film should explore that in a in a deeper fashion. Um, and I am, I'll you know, I am holding out for that. I want to see what they do with David because he's by far the the most interesting and most game-changing element of both Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Well, it sounds like Disney's right now, and they've said mm, there's going to be, well, they've said there's going to be more Alien movies, right? And Disney has, you know, let Lucasfilm do its own thing with Star Wars for yeah, better or true. for worse. Has let Marvel do its own thing with Marvel for better or for worse. And those have worked out decent so far. Yeah. So on the whole. So I have hope that someone will maybe take it away from Ridley because that needs to happen or maybe he needs to go back to being an executive producer like he was in Blade Runner 2049 instead of actually being the director. Mm. Maybe they just need to have a better script before they go make a fucking movie because yeah, I've already alluded to it earlier and they did it in Covenant, as you identified. I would have made David the main character of Prometheus. He's by far the most interesting. He gets the most love. He's the only person that has any layers and he's the non-human character. How yeah. ironic. And I would set up Shaw as a misdirect and I'd kill her off maybe even fairly early like Hitchcock did in, um, which one was it? Where he kills off the chick in the shower. Psycho. Psycho. Yeah. Like kill mm. off your fake main character early. Because the problem, I think the bigger problem, or not the bigger problem, one of the bigger problems of Prometheus and Covenant is that they're trying to recreate the idea of a strong female lead which yeah. is not a problem, except when you're comparing that to Ripley. And then you're, you're not only trying to create a strong female lead, you're trying to create a strong female lead that's not a Ripley ripoff. Yeah, yeah. Because these are preceding Ripley and, and also female leads that are leading up to what Ripley will become. I think Shaw edges out whatever the fuck her name was in the next one, but that's mainly because she wears one of those hats that has a flap on the back and anyone who does that deserves to die. So Yeah, if you wear a Legionnaire's hat, like... Legionnaire's hat. And you're not a Legionnaire? If you're not a Legionnaire and if you're not six... Yeah. Then, you know, expect hell. Yeah, question your life choices. Yeah. Basically. But I think that the problem was that they felt that they had to do that, whereas if they played with that expectation... And they'd set her up and then they'd just knock her off or get her out of the picture in Prometheus mm. and have it be about creepy David because he is the one that you want to see more of. Even though he's like this Hannibal Lecter of robots. It's like, is he following orders from uh, Wayland? There's an argument for that. But yeah. he is following orders from Vickers up to a point where she's like, put your feet on and then he turns it off. Does well, he do that because Wayland's told him or does he do that because – he wants to do this? Well, yeah, and, and, and Shaw is forced to marry him in terms of an alliance yeah. in order to escape the planet and that's, as that's well a, right at the end. So that's setup. probably the best. I do think that is a good setup. That is a good setup, yeah. But, like, I think if you just reconfigured uh, it to be this is actually David's story because it ultimately is David. I mean, when we get to Covenant, it is David's story because, mm-hmm. you know, Shaw's not around anymore. So... That just that conceptually and going, tell me that story, I think would lead to to different things and, and making the humans more of a um, supporting cast, which they don't do. 
in alien movies because every alien movie also feels obliged. The other cliche that they have to do is they have to include a, a synthetic. Yeah, they have to include a droid and the droid has to get shit piled on it for not being human. Yeah, and they're either they deserve that because they're like a company, literally a company slave. Yeah. Or they don't deserve it like Bishop, but they understandably are given shit by Ripley because she's been burnt by a synthetic before or there's some cheap – actually, they didn't have one in Alien 3, did they? No. Oh, except for Bishop's kind of still there. So Bishop's counts. there, yeah. But then in 4, Resurrection, they've got that worst reveal ever with the – who's the Scarf Thief? Uh, yeah, I know which one I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Steals our hearts and our scarves. Oh, my God. The name's on the tip of my tongue. I don't remember it. Apologies. Uh, but I thought that twist was so obvious that she was a synth. And so they're trying to do synths in different ways. So along that theme of doing a synth in a different way, which David is already, mm-hmm. make the synth the main character. And you don't even have to make it a reveal that he's a synth. Like we, we get that pretty early on. Yeah. But he's also fascinating in terms of his motivations because you don't know whether he's looking out for him which is interesting in and of itself because he's synthetic who by the time you get to Covenant has clearly achieved self-awareness yeah. and is conscious and making his own fucking decisions and is well off script. Yeah, yeah. So and and that's set that up in Prometheus. Yeah, yeah. And it should have been more established than it was, I think. Yeah. I think the bigger problem of killing off Shaw off screen in Covenant is that you don't get that awesome tension moment because she, as far as we know, she hasn't fully clued on to the fact that he poisoned, uh, David poisoned Holloway. Well, no. It's kind of hinted at, it's teased at. She's like, it's it's airborne. It's like, it's not airborne. And that's never really. No, again, where something's set up and we're just left to pick up the pieces. But that's like, that ends up being a cool little tension set up at the end because it's like, okay, there's there's going to have to be a point where assumedly she figures out yeah. whether he admits it or yeah. she clues onto it. And she's forced to form an alliance. But she has to work with him. She needs him to fly killer. the ship. Yeah. Yeah, like that's powerful. And maybe even reveal that at the end of the movie. Like maybe yeah. even have him admit it or she figures it out and then he's ahead so she has the power, like he's disembodied, so he can't hurt her physically. But she's like, I need him to fly a ship. So does she keep him in like gimp head form? Because she's like, I need his brain, but he's like leveraging, like, I'm not going to help you. Uh, you need to put me back on my body. And she's like, but I can't trust you. Like that sets up not horror, but some sort of like psychologically twisted, you know, Clarice kind of Hannibal uh like relationship where it's yeah. like well, i mean they kind of played it a bit more romantically didn't they in that mm. in that but remove the romanticism and have the idea of like i don't want to work with this person but i need this person to get what i want yeah. and that person is keenly aware of their power in that situation and also has their own agenda like mm-hmm. that stuff is really fertile ground yeah yeah and they just didn't want to do anything with that and the whole immortality like Fucking Wayland doesn't have to be there. That's dumb. Mm. Like that's it's stupid. unnecessary. In the, it's, in the original script, mm. even um, Elizabeth Shaw is she has a chest buster. She she gets done by a um, a face hugger. Yeah, yeah. Which is more interesting because you don't have to have the machine configured to males because she is asking for a procedure that is non traditional. So it can be like, okay, so you want a C section? She's like, no, no. I've got something fucking in my chest and how does it get to the chest? Like it can't 
without cracking the ribs, it can't get through the chest. So it's got to go another way. So programming that while it's getting close to, like you get the impression that it's getting close to busting out of her. Yeah. And it's also this cool idea of like whenever in the past we've seen someone get face hugged, that's a death sentence. Yeah, yeah. And she gets past it, but she gets by it in a way that is actually believable. Yeah. Where you're like, no, they earned that. They actually, and they did it in Prometheus as well. They earned that, like the the what she had to suffer through. Yeah, that was they earned the remedy. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm like I can get on board with that. And also there was only like what twenty of they set up. They had that line about there's only twenty of these machines in the world. So it's not like it's a every alien movie from there is going to have one of those things and everyone's going to get the cut out. Like it's like okay, so this is a rare instance where someone survives. And I think to see someone survive a face hugger is something in a prequel that would be really fucking interesting. Yeah, yeah, totally. I want to see that. But, um, yeah. Was there anything else that you would change? Apart from just kind of making it uh, smarter characters, which we both like. I love that we both agreed on that. Like, just get rid of the idiots. Yeah. I mean, I, that makes a far better film. And just stop injecting questions that are never followed up answer your question yeah like you leave some things to mystery but it can't be major plot points no no movies should ha- should be self-contained unless unless you're doing something like empire strikes back or the two towers where you know that there is a but there is a definitive end coming yeah because be uh, satisfying- covenant puts more questions out there it doesn't necessarily answer many of them at all yeah and that, and that leads back to arrogance because it's yeah. not like they've planned out a three-story arc nope. that's already been beaded out and it's going don't worry we've got the trajectory you're going to have to trust us it covenant feels more like a george lucas pivot after episode one mm-hmm. than ridley scott going no, no no i had this in mind or like he was talking about them going to meet the engineers on their home world yeah and i guess we can kind of interpret that we may have seen that. I don't remember if that was their homeworld in Covenant. It was one of their worlds. They certainly had several. Like that was an, a mili- an outpost, assumedly a weapons outpost mm-hmm. in Prometheus that we saw. So maybe in Covenant that was their homeworld, maybe it wasn't. He wiped them out either way, David did, which is also cool, but it also doesn't give us those answers to the questions that they promised us at the end of the last movie. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, what? Are you, tune in next week and we will pretend to answer your question. But really, there'll be ten more questions. Yeah. People eventually go, fuck off. Exactly. I don't need to see it. And I know that ultimately ends in Alien. Yeah. So I'll just go watch that. Yeah. Which um, I don't think we're going to do it for this show. I think that there's definitely room for us to talk about the movies that we've seen Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were sent recently a 4K version of Alien to celebrate its 40th anniversary, and honestly, I'm very, very excited to revisit it from a from a presentation point of view. Yeah, totally. Because so much of what makes Alien work, I'm sure you agree, and Aliens is that contrast of a black xenomorph against shadows. And I wonder whether this will take away from it, whether the presentation on like an OLED screen or a, or a quality 4K screen will actually make you be able to see more into the shadows than you would have liked or whether they have actually taken that into account and tweaked it. And what you get is something closer to what I got when I rewatched Braveheart in 4K, you know, a few months ago, which was detail that I hadn't noticed before and detail in darker scenes that actually added to the yeah. experience of the higher fidelity. I'm hoping it's more than that and less of the oh, bro, there's an alien just in the shadows behind you. I can see that the whole time. It's like one of those glass shattering moments. Yeah. Well, we can, we can 
visit that uh, next week. And speaking of next week. Next time on Here's My Movie. We're going to be doing a Star Wars movie, a recent Star Wars movie. It's The Last Jedi oh, and no spoilers. we will uh, delve into that. I don't expect to say much. Um, I tend not to get a word in with Star Wars stuff, but we'll see. And uh, we will go through uh, an email from a, a, a long-time listener, first-time emailer, and they're going to give us their hot take on us, which was our first episode. They have some very interesting ideas that I would love to share. Uh, and hopefully we'll have watched Alien by then and we can find out if we see more in the shadows. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good night and good luck. <laughs>